Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, big episode on tap for today. We've got a conversation I had a few days ago with Courtney DeWalter, who was kind enough to grant me some time to ask her about the unprecedented success she's had raising ultras over the past couple of years. To provide a bit of context, Courtney is currently on an astounding 15 race win streak that dates back all the way to March 2021 and includes victories at both UTMB and Hard Rock, to name just a few performances that stand out. I tried to approach our conversation without retreading topics she's been asked about endlessly, like in the weeds training questions or her bucket list races. And instead, I kind of shifted my attention toward getting a sense for how she conceived of running as a practice. And while Courtney's dominance on the trails might not be all that relatable to most of us, I think the way she goes about getting there might be. But before I bring Courtney on, I want to take a quick minute to tell you guys about Blister's partnership with Spot Insurance. Injuries are definitely not the first thing that comes to mind when we think about our favorite outdoor sports. But as many of you know, perhaps all too well in some cases, they happen from time to time. And even if you have standard insurance, the cost of your deductible and often a number of hidden fees means you're likely to get stuck with quite a hefty bill for any trip to the ER or hospital visit. That's where Spot comes in. With a Blister Plus Spot membership, you get injury insurance that covers everything from trail running to backcountry skiing to mountain biking and more. All that in addition to the benefits of being a Blister member. For more info, make sure to click on the link in the show notes. I remember a few years ago, I bailed off my mountain bike and ended up cracking a few ribs. But because I was a student on a budget at the time, I didn't want to go get myself checked out alone. I ended up healing just fine after taking a couple down weeks, but in retrospect, not getting seen by a doctor could have led to some nasty complications. And I think if I had spot insurance, having a friend drive me to the emergency room would have been a no-brainer. All right, and finally, I also want to take a sec to remind you guys to leave us a rating or review after this conversation wraps up. Little things like that really help us continue to put out new episodes of the podcast each week. Okay, let's get right into my chat with Courtney. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, so there are a bunch of things I'd like to get to during this conversation, and hopefully... Well, hopefully it's not super (laughs) echo chambery and questions that you've answered like a million times. But I think I would be kind of remiss if I didn't start with um, some background work. So I'm curious about uh, where you grew up and and kind of what your childhood childhood was like. I grew up in Minnesota. I have two brothers and our family was just really active. We were involved in all the sports. We were always outdoors playing. Um, everything with my brothers was like a relay race or some sort of, you know, competition. And I loved it. I loved having two brothers and I loved sports. I loved moving as much as possible. And then, um, in fifth and sixth grade, we ran the mile for gym as like a race that we did against all the other sixth graders in the district. And I loved it. I loved that I could push as hard as I wanted, you know, that I was in charge of my legs and 
um, the amount of effort I put in and fell in love then with just pure running. Before that, it had always been, you know, I loved the running part of sports. But once I did these races, I realized like the part I love about those sports is that I can run. Um, and so to have just pure running suddenly in my life was eye opening. Um, and then I joined the cross country team in seventh grade and fell in love with the social aspect of it. I loved having a coach kind of teach us how to bring out the best in ourselves on race day. Uh, and still loved like those peaceful, silent moments of alone time. And ever since then, running has just been ingrained in everything. Like whether I'm racing or not, it's a way I like to recharge myself, you know, center my brain, uh, move my body, sweat a little bit. So it's always been something that I incorporate into my daily life now. Were your brothers older or younger? I have one of each. I was the middle. Oh, wow. Okay. Would you have guessed that? I would have guessed that they were both older because that's usually like, I feel like all of my friends that were like the youngest sibling just got kind of like not abused, but like punked on by their older brothers and it made them really resilient. And I see a lot of that in you. (laughs) Yeah, one of each. We're all really close in age, though. And so we were a lot of times just on the same soccer team because it made it easier to manage practice schedules and games if they were all the same, you know? So yeah, I got to play with them a lot. They never treated me differently just because I was the one girl, you know, I still had to try to win. I never got the free win out of it or, you know, throw some elbows their way. Um, So I feel really grateful to have grown up with those guys and to have my parents, you know, treat us all the same as well. What did your parents do for work? My mom uh, was a teacher and my dad worked uh, with dentists. Okay. Is that kind of where you got your uh, teaching from, do you think? I don't know. Maybe. I um, I didn't think I was going to be a teacher, um, but maybe it was always destined to be my path. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I also read that um, your dad kind of instilled from an early age that like quitting was not really something that you guys entertained all that much that like once you started a sport, you kind of had to see it through at least the first season. I imagine you kind of like took that with you and applied that to your running later in your life, right? Absolutely. Um, I think what we learn early on shapes a lot of of who we become or even our thoughts about things. And um, that was in our house how it was like you chose this thing. Now you see it through and while you see it through, you do your best at it, whatever that is. You know, if you're awful at it, that's okay. But if you're trying, that's all we ask and um, that you don't give up on it, like get it to the end. And then, you know, you could decide if you didn't like it anymore or something. Do you have any examples from growing up where you're just like, this is not for me? Yeah, I think um, I tried so- slow pitch softball one season when I was really young. I don't remember how old, maybe eight or something. So it's definitely in in the stage where you're still learning and like there isn't a lot of action, at least not on the field I was playing on. And uh, I didn't, I didn't fall in love with it, but 
you know, saw it through to the end, played out the season, tried my best at whatever position they put me in. And then, and that was it. It was one season of softball for me. Something you did (laughs) stick with for quite a while was Nordic skiing. I've always been fascinated by how like a lot of the top, especially like women in our sport, uh, have really strong Nordic skiing backgrounds. I'm thinking of like Steph Howe, Corinne Malcolm, Olivia Amber. Um, what do you think translates so well about that sport to ultra running, particularly like super long distances? Yeah, gosh. I mean, all those names you mentioned probably know the science behind it more than I do. Um, but for sure, it's a sport that builds the whole engine. It's a full body thing and it's non-impact. So you can uh, really go to the well, you know, you can really dig in and push when you're racing. And so I think establishing that early on is probably beneficial and probably the racing aspect of it and like training for something to peak at, you know, the optimum time for that race would be applicable in both sports. What is kind of the the standard like weekly volume, I guess, thinking of like collegiate Nordic skiing? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I So uh, I don't keep track of things very right. well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess like relative to the amount of running you do now. Yeah. It's a really good question that I haven't thought a ton about ever. But in college... Our practices were a couple hours a day in the afternoon and then maybe something in the morning, depending on classes or if you, you know, added a run in yourself Um, and then longer stuff on the weekends. I would say, though, my volume now is probably higher and maybe that's directly related to the fact that I'm not juggling also being a student and taking classes and managing all of that. Uh, but that's a really good question. And like, it would be interesting if I had ever kept logbooks of training to see what it was, because I feel like I have a good beat on what we did for training in college, but I don't remember exactly. Because I know there's like a decent amount of like, kind of slow running involved in Nordic ski training, correct? Is In addition to like, roller skiing and skiing. Yeah, really slow running and really slow Nordic skiing. My friend and I, um, so one of my teammates from high school is still one of my best friends. And we were laughing the other day about how good our coach was in high school at teaching us um, when to push and how to push, but also how to do those really slow days. And we didn't know it at the time, but we would go on these long Nordic skis with him. And it was supposed to be um, just really, really easy pace. And he would, you know, have a stopping all the time, looking at the scenery, like, you know, stopping to chat about stuff. And we were just like, man, like keep skiing, what's happening, you know, but he was basically like modeling. This is a long, slow distance day. And that means we go really slow. And, uh, It was funny to laugh with her the other day about it because uh, I think we both had the epiphany at the same time, like, oh my gosh, that's what he was doing. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I think I learned that the hard way. Like, I I obviously don't have a Nordic skiing background, um, but for probably like three to four months, I ran with Corinne Malcolm and Olivia Amber, who do like every day. And uh, 
at first I was like, why are we going so slow? Like running is meant to be like hard. Like what are we doing here? And I uh, just completely didn't understand the, the training philosophy there. Yeah. Yeah. And now do you run slower? No, <laughs> no, which is why I'm always injured. But that's another discussion. <laughs> another day. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's kind of where you developed your like intuitiveness and like ability to really like listen to your body? Because I feel like that kind of, from my perspective, really guides your your training philosophy. Yeah, it, that is absolutely what guides my training philosophy. And for sure, um, that was a thing I started learning then. I didn't know it, you know, but I did have a, a really fantastic coach for cross-country skiing and our running coaches in high school were also incredible. And just by them modeling, um, by telling us, you know, our workouts for the day or what we were doing or, you know, slowing us down when we needed to, having that modeled for me built in that like, that's what training looks like. And so now as I shape my own, you know, doing whatever, <laughs> whatever I do, I'm not sure. Um, that's just instilled in me, you know, like that's how it looks when you train. So switching gears a little bit, jumping forward ahead in time, um, you went to University of Denver for college. What was that experience like? It was really cool. I um, grew up in Minnesota. I knew that I loved the mountains. I'd been a few times on some family trips. Um, but to then live in Denver and suddenly get to see those mountains every single day and appreciate how beautiful they were and the playground they provided, um, yeah, I fell in love with the place. And the University of Denver was great. Our ski team um, was really wonderful and like a great learning experience for me of um, racing with a lot of people who had come over from Europe. So I was learning about different cultures, different languages, um, while trying to train and ski and race. What did you study in college? Biology. Okay. Did you have any kind of like inclinations to pursue um, professional sport after college? Like, did you think, you know, maybe I'll go over to Europe and ski professionally? No, I never did. I think that I didn't think it could be for me. Like I was like, no one gets to actually do that. I should be more logical. And I don't know why, because I'm like, um, yeah, I love to dream and like scheme up crazy things. But for some reason, that one never crossed my mind. What do you think like has changed since then, though? Because I feel like your decision to hop into uh, running full time in like 2017, I think, uh kind of reflects that more like spontaneous attitude towards the towards things. Yeah, for sure. I think um I think I understood life as like you go through these series of steps and when you finish a step you do the next one and so in my head it was college and then you get a job and you know carries on from there and it was very um like the highway was paved and you just followed it. And uh, then in 2017, probably 2016, my husband and I were having these conversations about life and, you know, what we wanted and how we wished, how we hoped we could be when we were 90 and we thought of our lives. And we realized that it's not this paved highway, that actually you can take any exit you want and take the side road for a while and 
get back on the highway if you want, or, you know, like we're the drivers of our own lives. And so then we were like, yeah, let's just try something different. Let's try this and uh, see what happens. I want to talk about your husband, Kevin. How did you do that? (laughs) We met through some uh, mutual friends in Denver. Okay. When you were in college? After college. We were both there working. Because you, after college, I know you moved to the South and taught in Mississippi and Texas, right? That's correct. Yeah. And then moved back to Denver? Yeah. The mountains were calling. So I moved back to Denver. um, And then Kevin and I met. What was your first date? (laughs) Do you remember? Yeah. We... um, So our mutual friends had invited us to all sorts of the same things a bunch of times. That's how we got to know each other and like understood we enjoyed each other's company. But then our first date we went on, we actually um, went up and did a 14er in Colorado. Um, So a 14,000 foot peak. It was a like long drive to get there and then a long hike to do this peak and then a long drive home. I don't know what I was thinking because that's quite a gamble for a first date. <laughs> was that your idea? Um, I don't know. I, we both loved mountains and the outdoors. And so I think we were like, let's go do a 14er and grab some food afterwards. And uh, it was really fun. Yeah, I feel like you get to know someone pretty well when you're <laughs> above 10,000 feet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, were you running pretty seriously at the time? And was he a big runner? I was running. I wouldn't say um, it was serious, but I was running every day. And uh, Kevin did not run. Um, But shortly after we met and we had done that 14er, he started to uh, go for runs and build up his mileage as well. And uh, now he's done a few hundred mile races. So that's been really cool to watch that progression. What is his role uh, on your team, I guess? Like, I know he's kind of your crew chief and he's he's been pacing and crewing you for the better part of a dozen years now. Uh, what has that kind of evolution been like? He's a huge part of the team. For us, it is a team sport and um, I wouldn't want to do it without him. It's just way more fun creating all of these memories together. We didn't know much about the sport when I was first getting into it. So when I asked him to crew me for that first 100-mile race I attempted in uh, 2012, he was like, what is crewing? Like, I don't understand. What is this sport? What do you mean I meet you at aid stations? Like, we knew nothing. And so um, it's been really special to figure the sport out together and learn along the way, you know, tons of missteps and. Uh, plenty of mistakes, but he has just like embraced it fully and is really good at it and really likes it. And for that, I'm uh, like hugely thankful that he thinks it's fun. Um, so that, you know, the thing we're doing with our time is something we both are enjoying. But yeah, he's like a full numbers guy. He's a spreadsheet guy. His brain is a computer. I'm pretty sure. So he has just like embraced kind of the uh, logistical and more like numbers game of the sport. I read an anecdote uh, about how in 2012 at the uh, Run Rabbit Run, he showed up with a uh, joke sheet to pace you at mile 50. 
Uh, yeah. Do you remember any of the jokes he uh, he said while he was pacing you? I don't know, but it was in like size six font or something, like the tiniest font so that he could squeeze them all onto this piece of paper. And then he busted it out and um, was, you know, playing them, slow playing them um, <laughs> so I could get plenty of jokes along the way. Um, and he's done like uh, lots of creative things like that. One time before a race, he had reached out to a bunch of my friends and family and asked them to record an audio message. And then he loaded that onto my iPod shuffle. I didn't know. So then when I took my iPod shuffle at mile, I think 70 of a hundred mile race, put it in, suddenly I was like getting a song and then hearing from a friend, getting a song and then hearing from my mom, like all these messages from people I love. Um, and that was really cool and such a surprise. Yeah, I have a friend that uh, obviously takes her phone with her on on race day. And if she has service, she'll just like call one of her friends and be like, hey, I'm at mile like 65. Like, what's up? Yeah, will you <laughs> like, chat with me? <laughs> yeah, I'm going through a rough patch. Like, but yeah. what have you been reading recently? You know? Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, what else is on that iPod shuffle? What do you like to listen to? That iPod shuffle has a lot of things on it. The playlist started, I mean, whenever iPod shuffles came out. So it's old. Um, it has like, 90s and early 2000s rap and pop, a lot of country music, uh, plenty of Michael Jackson and Prince. And I don't know, there's probably some like Disney hits on there. I don't, lots of things. But yeah. I really want it to keep working because now they don't make that original iPod shuffle, the really yeah. small one. Um, so I'm like, I take care, really good care of that thing. <laughs> I was on eBay the other day looking for one because I also used to run with one and they're going for like a couple hundred bucks now, which is ridiculous. I don't know why they discontinued it. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Apparently you can like <laughs> listen to music on your like GPS watch now, but okay. I don't know. I think like the shuffles where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you felt this calling to move back to the mountains and you ended up in Leadville. Take me through that decision. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, we lived in like the downtown Denver area for quite a few years and then basically wanted more trails, um, a little bit smaller town vibe. So we moved west of Denver to this town called Golden and we lived there for a few years. And then we kind of had the same craving where we were like, we want a bigger playground. We want a smaller town. We want a more simplified life, you know, not the hustle and bustle, and uh, found ourselves just falling in love with Leadville and all, the area around it, the people, the town here. Um, so we moved up to the mountains and it's been wonderful. I'm not going to ask you too many training questions, uh, but <laughs> one that I did have was how did you train for Trans Grand Canaria in Leadville in the winter? Good question. Um, I did another race in Texas in January. That was also dirt Bandera. and kind of hot. Yeah, that was Bandera. And so kind of since December, I was tr trying to pay attention to like, can I get on some trails? Can I get exposed to a little bit of heat occasionally? 
because I knew I had these two races early in the season that were going to ask me to be ready for that. So we did like in December, maybe a a short trip to Phoenix to get on some trails. And then otherwise, it was just doing what I could here in Leadville on snow, on roads, um, or driving to just south of us about 40 minutes is a town called Buena Vista. And that has mostly dry trails all winter. So getting down there, um, maybe a couple of times total for the preparation, just to remind my ankles how to run on rocky stuff. Yeah, because like the fitness is there, but it's just kind of like the proprioception and stuff like that, I imagine, like takes a little while coming back. It always does. Yeah, every year I feel pretty clumsy on those first trail runs back. And um, I didn't want that clumsiness to be the race, actually. Like I wanted to get it out of the way before that. This is a question kind of about running full time. And it's pretty straightforward. Like, do you enjoy running full time? Because I know for some people, like, they like to have a, a a little bit of balance with like maybe a full time job, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think when you hear like, oh, I run full time, it's like, oh, that must be that must be nice, right? But I think that kind of discounts how hard that lifestyle can actually be. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are on that. Um, I love it. I didn't know if I would love it when I um, decided to try it out, uh, but figured that it was worth a test to see. And I was totally ready to go back to working full-time or getting a part-time job or whatever, because it was really important to me that running stayed fun and that I didn't ruin this thing that I love so much by doing it full-time. Um, but luckily, I haven't encountered that feeling of dreading it or starting to, you know, like think less of it because it is the thing I do full time now. So I think what's helped in that is just keeping like enjoyment at the forefront and never taking it too far, like too seriously, I guess. I have to imagine that like you a lot of the times, at least from my perspective, like don't force yourself to run. Like you're very much like, I feel like running today, so I'm going to run. And I think that I'm sure has a ton of return when it comes to keeping running enjoyable. Like I've talked to so many people that ran collegiately and once they graduated or finished running, they like never laced up their shoes again because it was they were so burnt out on it. So I think you can learn a lot about, um, you know, keeping running something you do as part of your lifestyle, not like a strict, like, I don't know, hobby or anything like that. Yeah. And like we are choosing this and we are choosing the races and um, we are very lucky to be able to make that choice. Yeah. Uh, One question I kind of had going back to like 2016, 2017, um, was there anything that kind of clicked during that period of time? Because that's, again, from my perspective, when you started to have like, you know, a ton, a ton of success on the trails, thinking about Run Rabbit Run and like Moab 240, et cetera. I think um, in... Those years, we had re- had just recently moved out to Golden, so we are closer to trails, and I was um, just getting in more time. Like I was definitely investing more energy into getting mileage in my week, so it was no longer like 
just one run in the neighborhood before work was enough. Suddenly now I wanted to do that one hour before work because it felt good. But also after work, I wanted to get on trails and practice trails because um, I had a lot of learning to do to stay upright on the trails. And suddenly they were right there, you know, in my backyard, I could run to trails instead of driving to them. And so I think in 2016, 2017, the volume started to go up and the thought behind like running trails specifically because I wanted to race trails uh, became more linked. Did anything like mentally shift? I know you're kind of notorious uh, for uh, the pain cave. uh, And I'm curious when that really like became super prominent in the way you like train mentally. I think the pain cave um, had become a visual for me around then, but I was still using the mindset of um, like, I knew the pain cave was a thing that was out there, but I still was trying to keep it away. So my visual of it was don't get to the pain cave, like train so well and be so fit and have the endurance so that you never arrive at the pain cave and push it off as far as possible. And it's just a mindset shift. Like there's nothing that changed about what I was doing, but now, you know, I want the pain cave. I want to go into it. And that probably shifted, I don't know, a few years after that, maybe like 2019, I was thinking more about going into it and making it bigger as opposed to uh, pushing it away or arriving at it. And like, if you arrive at it, just survive it, like sit in the entryway and make it through, you know? It's a great metaphor, uh, just because it is, it is so easy to visualize. Yeah. Um, are you able to kind of like access that like voluntarily or like what do you have to do to, to arrive at the, the mouth of the pain cave? I think one of the coolest parts is that it can't be accessed for me voluntarily. So um, it's very special now when I do arrive at it. And I don't take it for granted to have that opportunity to push so hard that I'm making it bigger which in my head then is making me, you know, better for the next time that I go to it. Um, But yeah, I haven't figured out how to like actually snap my fingers and arrive at it. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Like you can imagine like your grocery shopping. Yeah. Just like pain cave. Let's go in. (laughs) The bread aisle. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Does it ever get smaller? The story I've created with it for myself is that it's not smaller. It's the same cave every time. Every time I go in it, I have the opportunity to make it bigger. Um, maybe it's wider, you know, maybe it's a longer tunnel, whatever it is. So it never shrinks, but I think there is the possibility that I go in it and I'm not productive. And to me, that would mean like not pushing myself fully and kind of staying in the entryway. Um, so it could stay the same size, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm curious, like if you don't race for a while, and then you like, you know, toe the line somewhere, and you, there's cobwebs at the, the mouth of the cave, uh, whether it's harder to get into. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I haven't um, considered that aspect of the story. But that's a really good point. I should think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> this is a question that's like fascinating me for a while now, and hopefully we'll kickstart 
maybe a, a fun little tangent. But so you said you're you're not you're not a numbers person when it comes to training. And what you've divulged is that, you know, your training philosophy is built around like simplicity, being intuitive, listening to your body. Do you think that like people are disappointed when you say that? Are they like frustrated that like you don't have, you know, a, a room full of like spreadsheets and you're not like listening to your like heart rate all the time? I don't know. Um, does it disappoint you? No, I love it because it's like <laughs> it's like I I always think of running as something we did as kids, and it's supposed to be fun. And I kind of like I don't know. I get tired of people trying to like over intellectualize it at a certain point. Like you can you can kind of drown yourself in numbers, and I think like running with your you know, this is going to sound cliche, but like running with your spirit is, is kind of what I relate to more. Yeah. I, um, and I prefer that way as well. I don't know if it's disappointing to people that I don't have all the data. Um, but, and if it is, I'm sorry, but I, I am, I am really enjoying like the way that I currently am operating. It feels completely authentic for what it's worth. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think like, and this is again, something I've been thinking a lot about, but like in reading a bunch of like the profiles written about you, especially in like the more mainstream media outlets, like the New York Times or like the Ringer, like the piece that Mirren Fader wrote um, a couple years ago, they always like marvel at the fact that like you don't follow a specific diet or like, yeah, a strict training regimen. And I've always kind of like balked at that because I think that like you're onto something, you know, like running is simple. Yeah, it is simple and um, should be fun. And also like you can work hard while having fun. You can be pushing really hard. You could be doing hill intervals. You know, you like you can work hard and enjoy it at the same time. Those things aren't like they can be the same, you know? And I think sometimes that gets forgotten that, you know, when I say like, it's so fun, I'm having fun. Like I just, you know, trying to follow what my body wants, like fun can be, I'm going to do these hill reps, you know, right. until like I taste blood and, or fun could be, I'm going to go on this adventure run and eat pieces of pizza and cheeseburgers out in the mountains. Like it can be all of those things. Right. And you can still be very serious about your training while keeping it fun. Yeah. Fun can be um, happening all the time. I want to talk a little bit about um, Solomon. You are now like one of their most recognizable athletes and kind of one of their most tenured athletes as well. Um, how has that partnership grown over the years? They're amazing. It's been really cool to partner with them um, because... I love the gear and the gear works for me, which I think is really important when you're using a shoe or, you know, wearing the apparel, but also because the people there are just wonderful and have helped me learn a lot in this sport and um, have helped me grow and understand training and racing and, you know, traveling and all of those pieces. And so I'm really thankful for that. I, yeah, I didn't know that it would be this like cool partnership and friendship with all of them when it began. Are you more involved with like product design now? I know you have your uh, limited edition S-Lab Ultra 3s. 
Yeah. Yeah. All the athletes really get to give feedback on products and, you know, no better people to tell you where a zipper should or shouldn't be than the ones who wear it for a hundred miles. So they're, they've got a great, um, like feedback loop going where we can give them input and then it happens. And, you know, those products then end up going out for other people to use, which, uh, feels like pretty cool to be part of all of that. Have you enjoyed uh, the team component of it? I know Solomon loves to go on their their uh, team retreats or, or team camps. Um, the videos they put out of those ugh, so nice. I wish I could like be a fly on the wall there. <laughs> it's incredible. It's uh, a. I mean, running is so special in that I feel like when you run with someone, you really get to know each other, like. Running makes people really real, really fast. And so we'll spend these two weeks or one week together at a training camp and you leave there feeling like, you know, you know these people super well. And then if you see them throughout the season or, you know, cheering for them online for their races, like it becomes this unit where you feel like that's my team. Those are, you know, people I know and I care for how they do and how they are. You've been in the sport a while now. Do you feel kind of like a responsibility um, to like teach younger athletes in the sport? I, um, I I hope that I can be part of a whole you know the group of ultra runners who are passing down. You know what does it look like to be in the sport, a trail runner, like a good steward of the trails? What does it look like to? you know, be giving it everything you have in a race, but still, you know, thank the volunteers and um, offer help if someone's, you know, stopped on the side of the trail, like all of those pieces. And I think there's so many incredible humans in ultra running that like, I just know that's trickling down from like every angle, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, at least, stuck around the sport because of the community. Exactly. And that's what hooked me initially. Um, so I would love for that to feel as strong when I'm, you know, leaving the sport as when I entered the sport. Yeah. I mean, I think the way that the sport's really exploding, uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is something I kind of alluded to at the top of the show. Like you've been interviewed, profiled a ton. Is there anything that you haven't been asked that you really want to talk about? <laughs> I mean, the thing I love talking about the most is food. Um, <laughs> okay. But no, I, I off the top of my head, I can't think of uh, the one zinger that I'm waiting for someone to ask. <laughs> we can talk about food for a sec. <laughs> What's the... Do you like nachos? I love nachos. Yeah, I love a good nacho. Okay, so what's your perfect set of toppings on your nachos? Oh, man. Uh, cheese. Are you, are you going liquid cheese or grated cheese? Grated. And hopefully, like, the nachos still have enough, like, the chips still have enough, like, heat to kind of, like, soften it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The, like, liquid cheese freaks me out a little bit sometimes uh yeah i like spicy food so definitely tossing jalapenos on there salsa guac i like i could take or leave like a meat i don't know how you feel about that 
I could take or leave it too. If I'm going to go meat, I'll go like ground beef or pulled pork or something over pulled chicken. Pork. Yeah. Yeah. Pulled, pulled pork, pork is the way to go. Yeah. I'm with you on the jalapenos though. Make it spicy, grated cheese for sure. And then like even black olives on there or black beans, any veggies chopped up are good on it. Refried? I love refried beans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there we go. What is like, <laughs> what is the last meal you ate that you were like, wow, this is a really good meal? I had nachos the other day. Gosh, I don't know where we were. We had nachos and we had nachos that we ordered for before the meal. And then we had these huge uh, cheeseburgers with bacon and poblano peppers on them for our actual meal. And that was really good. It was like yeah. all my favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> and a beer. It was like, this is a good dinner. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is another kind of like, I guess, topical like comment. But I saw you were bow hunting recently. Yeah. Well, I was shooting at targets. Or, sorry. Yeah, I, I wasn't I, actually hunting. <laughs> you were hunting, hunting targets. I was hunting a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, those are vicious, I hear. Yeah. We got we to gotta get that population down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're good eating too you can probably put those on your nachos oh my gosh wait so like give me a little bit more context what were you doing uh shooting a bow i was out visiting a friend uh named cameron haynes he's a bow hunter um but he his whole idea with bow hunting is to be like the fittest he can be so that he can be a successful hunter so he does a ton of ultra marathons runs every day. He lifts weights. He, you know, is um, trying to train his body to be its best. And so I was out visiting him kind of seeing what his daily life is like. So we ran, we lifted weights and we shot bows. Uh, and the bow shooting was really fun. Um, I, I missed the target at 10 yards on the first day when I was learning, like I wasn't very good at all, but by the end of the the trip, so like a day later, I hit that balloon at 101 yards and um, it was such a rush. It was like... <laughs> That's a football field. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're telling me. Yeah. The balloon was very, very tiny at that point. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you guys could start like some type of... You know how they have like the biathlon shooting and skiing? bow hunting yeah. and running would be great yeah. you guys would that's like i think would be the coolest form of hunting that would be crazy i think there would be some pretty good ultra runners who could join that sport yeah <laughs> all right courtney before i get you out of here i just want to talk a little bit about um this year uh, i know you have the western states hard rock double coming up um you looking forward to it i am so excited for that double take me through why it made sense this year. <laughs> well, a double like that, um, it either always makes sense or it never makes sense. <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's the perfect amount of crazy that I was really curious if I could be a person who could do it. So Western States is at the very end of June. It's a pretty fast hundred mile race. Um, not a lot of climbing, not a lot of, you know, power hiking. It's not really mountainous. 
Um, and then three weeks after that is Hard Rock 100 in Silverton, Colorado. And that's a high altitude, very mountainous race. A lot of hiking with poles, a lot of um, pretty steep terrain. So they're very different and very close together. And I have been curious for a few years because there's other people who have done this double plenty. And I've always been curious watching them do it. Like, what do those three weeks between look like? And so this year, I had the opportunity to try and set that double up for myself and figured that the best way to find out what those three weeks looks like is to do it myself and see. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> have you been kind of like keeping tabs on what the Western States course looks like this year? Because I'm in San Francisco and uh, I've been monitoring like the Sierra snowpack and it's apocalyptic. It looks insane out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been watching. I don't know what happens with it. So I'll be curious what the course looks like. Um, but no matter how much snow is there or not there, it's a great 100-mile event that I'm excited to take part of. Was there quite a bit of snow um, in the two years that you've run the Western States? Um, so I've run it twice. I finished one time. Right. And I think it was the second year, maybe. I don't know. Whichever year it was, one of the years there was some snow still in the high country. And so for those first uh, few aid stations, we were running on snow or like, you know, in kind of a path that was punched out in the snow. Um, but it wasn't super crazy. Like it still moved pretty well. Yeah. I wonder if it could be beneficial in kind of like keeping people chill. Like, you yeah. know, I feel like or all like of the... Maybe you just butt, butt slide down every hill. Glissading? And, yeah. <laughs> that would be a look. Yeah. I feel like there was that one year that Jim wore the bucket hat. But if you uh, you show up with like a trash bag and glissade, <laughs> that'd be pretty rad. That would be so fun. <laughs> yeah. Solomon would have to find a way to, to market that for sure. Um, are there any other like fun projects you have this year? Running related or not? We'll see. I um, have that double as my primary focus for the beginning of summer. And then my thought is to just kind of see what it did to my body, how I feel afterwards, how recovery goes um, through the end of July and into August, and then make some plans from there. I've got some different ideas for like projects, some different races I've been eyeing. So um, there's a lot of things on the table. I'm just not sure what I'll feel ready to do yet. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to to watching you at Western States this year. Thank you. Will you be there? I'll be there. Yeah, I think I don't and I don't know in what capacity I might get uh, tapped to uh, to pace a little bit for someone, but uh, I'll definitely be there. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. It'll be great to meet you in person. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to have a, a big old tray of nachos for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course. All right, Courtney, thanks for chatting with me. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Courtney for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.